depressed, disgusted, completely fucking over it. If you thought we were over it the last two weeks, ladies and gentlemen, you just wait to hear what we have in store this week. Welcome to the 115th episode of the Night Shift Football Podcast. Uh, Cooper's with me. He's not looking as sad as the rest of us, but how you doing, man? Yeah, not bad. Not the worst. Yeah, no, good for you. Well done. I'm happy for you. Uh, Tommy is looking super depressed on the other end because we have to talk about football and we don't really want to do that anymore, do we, right now? No, not at all. Evening, lads. I'm glad everyone's here. Um, Kind of feels like a funeral, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, But a funeral we can make jokes at and not feel guilty about it. Yeah. We've... We got a bit to get through. Um, we're we're I'm super depressed this week. I can't even hide it. Um, we're going to start with the relegation though, Tommy, to get yours out of the way. Uh, Leeds Thanks. and Leicester ended up going down. Everton survived. Perhaps we'll put Everton t- to the side for a moment, but uh, you you've probably had time this year to deal with this. That this may be coming. Certainly did. Uh, what did we get? Three or four points in the last twenty-seven. Mm. And so our like we cast our die many weeks ago. I think uh that like that was the big factor in the Spurs game, is there was still a slim chance. And I fooled myself into believing it just for a, a tiny moment before kickoff. I thought, okay, we could we could pull off a miracle here. Yeah. Um, but football was just so stupidly predictable, so depressingly predictable. Yeah. Um Obviously, we'll talk about Dortmund later, but I had the feeling today, I was just thinking like, you know, we love we love talking about football and writing about football and doing all those sorts of things. And, you know, I'm talking like like genuine conversations about football outside mm. of the whole like the, the supporting shit, of it. like the whole oh, Chelsea yeah. bad, oh, they lost, oh, that kind of shit. Like actual genuine like enjoyment for the game, but... You know, when you invest invest in the game emotionally, uh, like we do at times, it's it just it fucking sucks. This shit sucks, and every fan listening will know exactly what I'm talking about because we've all been through it. It's part of the game. It's just it's just the fucking worst, though. <laughs> mm. There's 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 levels to it though, which I've been trying to explain to a few people over the last couple of days. Because um, you know, like your side goes down and you cop a bit of heat, um, but it's nothing new. As a Leeds fan, it's nothing new to my experience of supporting Leeds for like 25 years. I've seen this go down twice before. Yeah. And so like, what I was saying, uh, what I was saying, about, I, I, I cried when we sacked Bielsa because that felt like, that felt like, that was a that was a bigger loss than yeah. losing Premier League status. I didn't feel anything watching it, Leeds go down 1-0 to Spurs after 90 seconds. It just felt right. 90 seconds. So <laughs> useless <grim>. bastards <laughs> couldn't even try and stay <laughs> up. <laughs> useless fucks, hey. Um, just, just for a couple of minutes, do you've something. Al- you've also we sit- had kickoff, gave it away. Yeah, you've also sat through Leeds starting a season in League One on like minus 15 points or some shit. Like, it's a, yeah. it's a rocky road. And the Bielsa thing really did feel like something was different. And it felt like the Bielsa era Leeds, just, it just felt like... Oh, I don't I don't know how to describe it, but like just it felt like it was standing up against what football kind of is at the moment. Mm, um yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. You know what I'm trying to say, but yeah. That's that is very much his ethos, is that he's not 
concerned with like the commercialization of football nor you know the huge expenditure and he come into that club with a bunch of bang average players and turned them into champions and then took him to ninth in the Premier League. Like, I think because we've been so shit the last two seasons and because it was a COVID, uh, like, era uh, Premier League season, that one, no fans in the stadium or anything, you kind of, it's kind of been forgotten a little bit in the wash how good Leeds were in that first season. Like, we had the yeah, highest points were. total of anyone in the 21st century or something as a promoted side. Yeah. Um, and they were brilliant. And it was, we were all of a sudden everyone's favorite second side. Um, I don't know about and then, that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I feel like we were like this season's Brighton. Like we were doing a similar thing to them, just yeah. kind of punching above our weight, doing things in our own way. It was much more chaotic than Brighton. <laughs> it's true, actually. Brighton are a, a way better set up football side than Leeds were. But that's probably what made Leeds more engaging was that it was, it was chaos, but it seemed to work out. And then, yeah, it's just been... It's just been grim. 150 goals shipped in the last two seasons. Like you're not, it doesn't, in, like we fully deserve to go down. <laughs> there's, yeah, 100%. there's no two ways about it. That's probably why I'm so at ease with it. Uh, Cooper, I'm going to throw to you, put you on the spot maybe. I didn't warn you of this, but uh, do you have anything on Leicester going down at all? No, I think, um, you know, similar to similar to Leeds, 38 game season in the Premier League is a long time. And a lot of people felt that, Leicester were hard done by rocking up and doing their job on the final day, but it's about more than the final day, isn't it? Yeah. Like like you said, Tom, you know, being 1-0 down to Spurs in 90 seconds really felt like nothing. In fact, we sort of spoke about messaging or voice messages during the during the games for, for a bit of content before, and you were down 1-0 90 seconds in, and all I got was Kane 1-0 fucking lol. Like, like, imagine I did it. Imagine I did like a whole pregame, told how excited I was getting, and then just like ninety seconds in, ah, oh, shit, we're losing. I think if you if you go into a thirty-eight game Premier League season and win less than ten games, you're going to struggle to keep yourself afloat. So, yeah, no, no surprise for me. Yeah, um, the, the thing with the thought, I think the thing with Leicester, um, now that we're at the end of it, it looks like they are the they've got the best players in the bottom three and potentially have better individual talent than Everton. And so it does seem more surprising that they went down at the end of it. It's a grim a grim addition to Brendan Rodgers' resume, isn't it? If we really think about it. Yeah, what well, do you think he was he's the reason for this? Well, they were down there when he was, you know. Mm. They sacked him, they got someone else in, they couldn't do it, but the damage looked already done they were just completely gone and he was he was in charge of it you know he was there he brought in players he you know he he was there for four seasons you know so he has yeah. to cop a lot of that no i agree i am um, one thing i noticed I, I know you sort of we're going to talk about it sammy about people throwing hissy fits and tantrums but one thing I noticed on on football Twitter during this was the the huge difference between re- the reaction of the Leicester supporters and the reaction of the Leeds supporters. Um, yeah, I, there was the the video that you sent sent to sent through to us, Tommy, with the the Leeds fans singing in the still singing in the stadium after the game, and they were pouring cheap pints over the bar, and it just seemed to be you know they were still happy to be Leeds. And I thought there's this 
fantastic comparison I found on Twitter of a Leicester supporter singing, this is horrendous. How did, how did ownership and management allow this football club that was once, uh, was once so mighty in this division to become such a disgrace? Fuck this sport, fuck this club. <laughs> in comparison to a lead supporter who one minute after that Leicester tweet tweeted, if someone could train an aging Labrador to take long throw-ins, I would take it over Western McKenney. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> West McKenney was um, booed as he waddled off Ellen Road for the last time. <laughs> he, he was deplorable this season. We've talked about him already this, have, yeah. in the last few weeks, but he was deplorable. Um, yeah, I love that you mentioned the Leeds fans singing and drinking after the game, but there was also, I think, the moment, you know, the final whistle moments when there's kind of that that weird kind of hush in the stadium and the players are looking, they don't really know what to do. Um, and they just showed like there was lots of Leeds fans in the crowd just looking super hostile, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? What the <laughs> fuck are you? And then uh, the Leicester one was like the opposite. It was more like a, a funeral. The Leicester mm. one, I was just, I was wondering about this. I, I wanted to bring it up, but what do you, what do you think? Like, I guess it's hard to say, but like, we have no right to judge people's emotions and how they deal with these things. But I really don't get people acting like your club's dead when you get relegated from the Premier League. Is it is it purely because of that Premier League myth and the pedestal that we put it on? I think so. Um, is it mostly young people though that you've seen? Is it like no? It's a mix. It's a definitely mix. kids, definitely kids, but older people too. Like you know, I always like it. I always liken it to if like Adelaide, if we have promotion relegation in Australia, if Adelaide ever went down, I would be way more pissed off than I would be upset. So yeah. I would have that same Leeds hostility. I can't relate at all to, you know, breaking down in tears because we're not in the Premier League anymore. Like yeah. in eight, eight weeks time, nine weeks time, you've still got a club to go and support. Yeah. And I do think like people might be thinking it's a bit hypocritical because obviously, you know, um, I'm going to talk about how sad it made me Saturday night that Dortmund blew it. But like, I think it's different if you're you're trying to win something as to like getting relegated, they're kind of, for Leicester and Leeds, this has been on the card for all the season, and you've you know you've had a long time to kind of reconcile with it. Um, even though there was that hope that you still could, mm. it was a very very good chance you would go down. And then I just some of the reactions. I think, I guess we just view football a bit differently. And like you said in the group chat, is like to us especially football for us is like being able to go to the games with your mates and mm. have a drink and like maybe. I can join in with a chant or two or do whatever you do, talk shit and just hang out. Um, yeah, very much a social occasion. You still, you still get to do that in the championship. Your club still exists and you get more anything, games it's going to be, it, in fact. You get more games and it's going to be cheaper. Like it's, you know, whatever. Like, What's I don't your know, problem? You know. Do you think anyway. it might be because of Leicester's recent success? It, it hurts a little bit more. We see it all the time though. You know, we see it with clubs like West Brom and that and they go up and down every few years and it's like, just it's an opportunity. I think I just think if you're in the bottom end of the table, we've talked about this before with um like who, who was it last? Like Burnley. And it's like, mm, would you, wouldn't yeah. you rather like if you're gonna linger down there for so long, just go down. Yeah. And then have a season where you get you go to some different grounds, you win more games, you know, it's a bit more enjoyable, you have a bit of fun. And if you come back up, if you come back up, that's a beautiful run, you know, like, you know, obviously if you go down and then you go down again, you go down again and, you know, to the point of your club 
your club's existence being on the line, obviously that's a different thing. But going from the Premier League to the Championship, I don't think is, uh, you know, it's not that big a deal. Just... Actually, um, an interesting take I saw on it was a lead supporter half celebrating the relegation because he thought he was going to jump a few thousand spots up the waiting list for a season ticket at Ellen Road. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just feel like that's there's one way to look at it is in like these people having a hissy fit inside the stadium. There's people outside dying to get inside there and, and yeah. watch a game on the terrace with their mates. And it's just it's just weird to me. And like Luke Ayling, night shift hero Luke Ayling. I don't know oh, if either of you God. either of you saw his quote. Um that I found really interesting was um, I have no sympathy for us. Players will always find another club, but I know a lot of people behind the scenes, the DNA of these football clubs who may lose their jobs. And that's the depressing side of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's that's an interesting sucks. point they bring that's up fair. because how many staff would you lose going down? Like I don't, I don't really see, I don't see what would change. Why would you yeah. get less people in for a more arduous campaign coming up? That, I don't, I don't know. Because there's, I get, yeah, there's like less money, obviously, but I guess that turnover comes through the squad as well. Like your squad is, you know, much lesser, much lesser wages and things like that. They have mm. the parachute payments as well these days too, like. Which is um, worth a bundle. You know, they're projecting yeah. the three relegated clubs uh, next year turnover and that all three are going to be in excess of 200 million. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Uh, what about Everton surviving? Um Coop watched this one. What, Everton beating Bournemouth, staying up. Was it Bournemouth? Yeah. Staying up and um, I guess <laughs> invading the pitch to celebrate. Celebrate 17th. Two seasons in a row. <laughs> yeah. Um, geez, they were fucking, I don't know, lucky on a few occasions, unlucky on a few occasions. It was a pretty entertaining game of football. Um but their struggle to score a goal against Bournemouth with their life on the line is a pretty well surmised reason as to why they were this close to being relegated in the first place. They're, if they don't do some serious business in this transfer window and sort themselves out, they're going to be back here again in 12 months' time. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Definitely. Especially if they keep Dyche. Like, what is the way forward? How many... How many positions can he still play in the way that he does? Um, given that it wasn't even super effective at the end of this season, they had that one really good result against Brighton. But outside of that, they still, you know, were tre- treacherously hanging over the drop zone for the most of it. Yeah, the um, the infamous sack the manager and bring someone in to to save you late tactic didn't work this season, did it? Um, I mean, Everton were already just outside that relegation zone when Dyche came in and. He looked like he was doing better things for him at the start, but just survived. Didn't work for Leicester, didn't work for Leeds, you know, and the the Forests and the Bournemouths and those that stuck by what they went with at the start and stuck to their guns are the ones that survived. It's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. To a lesser extent, Palace and Wolves did it, but they may... Wolves did it earlier, so I think they gave themselves a better chance. Palace was probably the only one, but even then, they were still 12th. They weren't... I think you said it all along, Palace were never really in jeopardy. Uh, I always felt that they could drop in, but uh, the Roy Hodgson appointment did the trick. It just always kept them just, uh, you know, enough points ahead to never really feel in, feel any pressure. So, uh, yeah, dis- disappointing way to go out. I tell you, I d- the pitch invasion stuff though. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. That seems small club to me. Are we gonna let's do that again? Where we, uh, we ridicule people for how they respond to football <laughs> matches. Um, I' not sure. I'd be. 
celebrating Savile in the same way that I just said, you, you know, stop acting like your club died if you get relegated. It, I wouldn't be celebrating if I avoided relegation. I'd kind of, I think that's another one where you're just like, oh, well, thank fuck for that. I don't know if it's a celebration. It'd be like, you know, whoo, got out of jail. Yeah, more, re- more relief. <laughs> I think I, I think I'd still be mad. I'd be like, you fucking, you put us through this all all season. Yeah, um, and I'd just be like berating him. You better not fucking do this next season. I'm not yeah, going absolutely. through another one of these. Yeah, um, yeah, on the pitch celebrations like that, invading. Uh, yeah, okay. One 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 thing I noticed about this pitch invasion was fans running to players and um there was two I noticed in Abdullah Decore, the goal scorer, and Amado Anana, who was surrounded by ten to fifteen supporters trying to grab onto him and both just went, ah fuck it. And they were jumping around and hugging back and getting involved and and enjoying the moment with their supporters. And and these are guys that didn't, you know, didn't necessarily grow up with the European football supporting background around him and then you got guys like jordan pickford who looked like he was going to get some fucking disease if any random bloke came within <laughs> five feet of him and was pushing people off him and telling him to fuck off this guy yeah. for, a club, for a club captain and the england number one of a team that underperformed massively and just stayed up is the biggest cocksucker in this competition isn't he <laughs> wow <laughs> let loose there didn't you i didn't see He's that coming huge left turn yeah <laughs> Fuck Pickford. Why so? What, why? Well, why, Cooper? Why do you hate the, him so much? The ego on this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I feel you there. It's humongous. For a guy that's achieved what? Nothing. Like what? Well, he, he, he's, he's got the stayed up twice trophy. Yeah. Congrats. You're England's number one. You're part it's of another be. team that underperforms constantly. It's just in his fucking he does. DNA. It's just in his for DNA. A guy, for a guy who plays at a club that is consistently shipping goals and chances... He gets ridiculously angry each time it happens. <laughs> like, have you not gotten used to this yet? Like, it happens. <laughs> you, you're playing for Everton. You suck. You're going to concede goals, bro. Relax. Um, he's On a side note, lunatic. It, it can't be too long until Ramsdale and uh, Pope usurp him as one and two, surely. Oh, it should have happened. Should have happened long ago with Nick Pope. Should have happened long ago. Yeah, should have happened with England. Um. I don't really like Pickford either. I think he's a bit of a, a wank. But I also think, like, if you are uh, going back to what you said before about, you know, if it was your team, Tommy, like when you say if we were at like an Adelaide game, if our team finished 17th, I don't want to run out there and celebrate with those players because I've probably just been berating them all season. Slagging them on here. Like, the <laughs> if, if Adelaide had like, you know, I don't know, if we had relegation and Adelaide had just avoided it, would we run out there and be hugging Ben Hallon? Like, <laughs> fuck off. No oh, chance. Man. I'm not going near these guys. Fuck off. Get down the tunnel and get out on the training track and fix it for next season, you dog. That would be the one time you'd want the fitness coach sprinting all the players after the game. Like, preseason starts early yeah, and you send fucking him. losers. Like... Starts now, you dicks. Start your fucking <laughs> run-throughs. All right, let's talk about the championship playoff because Luton have won it in a... Uh, Again, they went all the way through to penalties. Luton come up. I think uh, everyone was kind of on board with this story, weren't they? Coming from non-league eight years ago up to the Premier League. Um, oh, definitely. I was I was rooting for Luton, I'll tell you. Cooper, were you rooting for Luton? Um, look, out of the two, I wasn't really bothered either way. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's a better story. Um, but 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go down gonna go down early here. Here we go. Um, Luton will concede over a hundred goals next season in the Premier League. Oh, oh fucking hell! That's but you so can't harsh. do that. How can you possibly come up with that vibe-based bullshit? That is. <laughs> That's as vibe-based as it gets. But I'm just, rejecting I just, this well, one. I, I just wonder how do you feel about a a team coming up from the championship usually has all this, you know, this financial bounds coming up. But now we have a club that has to spend 14 million pounds on a stadium to be eligible to play in this league before next season. When most of these clubs that do come up from the championship don't have 14 million pounds to spend on a player in the first place. I reckon there is opportunity for a club like Luton because they are so small they should be advertising the shit out of this transformation into a Premier League team. Like, look at what they've done with Wrexham. Like, this has got a sponsored product, uh, stadium upgrade, mini video essay series over the whole thing, all rolled into one. Like, wouldn't you love to see the transformation yeah, of non-league Luton from, what, 2013? 10 years. And now, all of a sudden, they're in the parts of the Premier League. I, I would want to watch this every single day. This is like the genuine fairy tale story. Yeah, I don't know. They're like the club's don't like half it. owned by the fans. Like, th- what what more could you want from this? Hmm. I love them. That this is this is my new second team for sure. Yeah, I rate it. Um, I have a couple of questions. The first one is, um, Cooper. They finished with the second best defensive record in the championship this year. So, saying they're automatically going to ship a hundred next year is a fucking huge tee off for no reason. All right. Pickford doesn't play for him. You can calm down. Um, my other question is why does the team that wins the playoff get a trophy and they get to lift it at Wembley with like a ceremony and celebrate, but the team that finishes runner up in the league gets nothing. I just, uh, I wondered with that. I sort of saw a bit of talk about it on Twitter during the week. Um, do you think it's just because they feel like, you know how you spoke about, you know, a team gets relegated and there's that weird hush around the stadium and, and no one sort of knows what to do with themselves? Yeah. But if you don't want to run out there and celebrate with your team, but if your team gets promoted from the championship to the Premier League, you know, you celebrate and you go nuts for a couple of minutes and then there's just this weird hush of people not knowing what to do with themselves and potentially that's why they do this this trophy presentation. So it, it seems like a, a huge thing and it doesn't just die really quickly. Uh, I guess so. so uh, that's probably what it is. Hey, they've, just, got, yeah. they've got the trophy presentation area. You, you may you as well could, use it if you're at Wembley. You could just get up on that on the stage with that big flag that says we are Premier League and just, yeah, you know. That's yeah. a good point. It doesn't, yeah, have, to do be a, thing. doesn't have to be if, a trophy. Uh, in that case, if you're at Wembley and you really must use the trophy presentation area, um, why don't the winners of the uh, FA Cup semifinals get to go up there and lift it? FA Cup semifinal winning trophy. Serious question. It's a serious question. I would counter that with they shouldn't have semifinals at Wembley. Okay. My other serious question is why does the most um, miserable looking fuck in Premier League history, um, the one and only Michael Oliver, the referee who looks like he just despises football, why did he get to be in charge of the championship playoff final? I don't have the answer, but I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, God. I don't know. Was he the most like objective referee out there? Was there a lot of closet Luton and commentary fans? Is that what it was? They just had to whittle down that shit. He's historic. He's historic. 
I just know. I just wanted to get it off my chest that Michael Oliver's a miserable fuck and he looks like he hates the game. And every time I see him refereeing, it makes me angry because I'm like, why, why don't you just go home? You clearly hate this. Like, you look so no, fucking annoyed right now. Just he wants don't to get referee. His, wants to get his $75 and have his meal in the club room afterwards. Yeah, that's fair. Pack it of twisties and a can of Coke when you're done, ref. Um, yeah. The league doesn't one, want him in the house. The League One playoff was this morning as well. We're recording. What are we recording on? Tuesday night. Uh, of them. Tuesday morning, this game, uh, Chef Wednesday beating Barnsley. Uh, 1-0 with a goal in extra time right at the very, very death. Uh, Barnsley held on after a red card early in the game as well, which I thought was a little harsh. Ditto. Uh, yeah. This is the kind of thing that really aggravates me because it, it's they look like identical challenges in a way. And so it just seems absurd to me that you can send one player off for it and not the other one. Mm. Yeah, um, my old my old housemate uh, Jesse is a Sheffield Wednesday supporter of, of for some reason. I believe when he went to England, he spent some time in Sheffield and and went to a fair few Wednesday games. And now he just goes. Apparently, there's some Sheffield Wednesday supporter group in Melbourne. Um, there's about seven of them, and they go down the pub and and watch a few games together. And and he let me know the game was on, and I said, "Oh, when does it start?" And he said, "Midnight." So I put the TV on at midnight, and we're half an hour through the game because he lives half an hour in front of us. So we we're off to a fly Good. there. Well played. Um, Times are hard. No, my first message to him was at 12.41am our time that said, there's no fucking way that's a red card, surely. (laughs) I just, to me, and I know that this is not how it works, but to give a red card, like especially with VAR now, to give a straight red card as your first decision in a game with the magnitude of a playoff final, you need to be really, really sure because surely you're better off giving a yellow and being wrong in a situation where if it really is a red card, then the guy up in the VAR booth can go, no, you need to overturn this, rather than giving a red and the guy in the VAR booth's going, I'm not totally sure, we'll just stick with your decision. Yeah, no, definitely. Isn't that the idea of VAR, is that you don't have to make the harsh call and you can send it upstairs if you need to. Mm. They've just got to talk more, like... It doesn't, we're still in this mode of it looks like VAR overrules the referee and it's like a big scandal. No, just communicate with each other. Yeah, it's fine. If you overrule it, you overrule it. It's good. Yeah. Whatever. It's not It's not a mistake. You just Do collaborate. Correct. Do what, get it right. I don't, yeah. That's what it's there for. Um, at the other end, uh, well, no, sorry. Um, Sheffield Wednesday go up along with Plymouth Argyle, who finished with Ooh. 101 points this season. We and, uh, Ipswich Town. So they're going up. Sheffield Wednesday were third in the table. So uh, similarly to Luton, the the side that finished third ended up going up anyway, which I think is is pretty fair and we'll, we'll be all right with that. Um, they're going to bypass, Wednesday they're going to bypass Reading, Blackpool and Wigan who are coming down from the championship. Um, Reading, interestingly, finished on 44 points, five points from safety, um, and they had a six-point deduction this year, so that has really hurt them. That's harsh, man. What you don't know what the deduction was for? I'm not. I assume it was some sort of financial thing. Financial thing. That's yeah. Wow. Yeah. Six-point deduction it. went down by five points. So I mean, if if they deserved it, well, fuck is. But you know, mm. yeah, that whole notion of docked points. I mean, it's the same in Italy, right? We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But um, yeah, Cardiff just clinging on in that one. Wigan also had points taken off. They had three points taken off, which would have put them... Yeah, it's still they're still down. But yeah, 
There you go. It is remarkable how many teams in the championship get points deductions compared to teams in the Premier League. It happens quite often, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe not not super often, but more we'll, than we'll see. We'll see what Everton than should probably happen. There's a story brewing at Everton, I think. That'll be Ooh, one to keep an eye on. Oh, you've got some gust here. Um, is it time to do Bundesliga? It is. I just, I just, I just wanted to play one game with Luton yeah, that I totally go. forgot about. Um, they are the fourth town, as in team with town in their name, to play in the Premier League era. Who knows yep. who the other three are? Ipswich, bang, yep. Um. Oh. Oh, Cooper, you got anything? Coop should know one definitely. Oh, Huddersfield. 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 He likes to walk the dog occasionally. (laughs) Huddersfield, Ipswich, Luton. And. This one was way back in 93, 94. Okay. So it's going to stretch out. It's not Yeovil. It's not Yeovil Town. Nope. It's not. Got anything? Fucking hell. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Um. Um, 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 filling airtime, filling airtime. Yeah, we're, we're hitting dead air here. It it rhymes with Finden. <laughs> Swindon. 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 Nailed it. <laughs> I was trying to think of a clue right. that didn't give it away. I okay. Like, oh, oh, you gave it away. Um, all right, let's do it. Uh, we're finally at the Bundesliga. Oh, my God. I just cannot believe it. I don't know where to start. Can I start with one note that I had prior to this? Because I yeah. went into this, I wanted to watch it. I wanted to try and prepare some stuff before it because I did feel yeah. like we were going to be celebrating and yep. I felt like we were going to be shitting on buying. And so my first note here is what's happened to M- uh, Musiala post-World Cup? This kid's fallen into oh, a well. Fuck me. He had fallen in a well <laughs> and then he pops up with a winner in Cologne to lift them the title. Um, unbelievable, really, because uh, Borussia Dortmund were... You know, it was in their hands in this game, and they didn't show up, and that they almost got out, got away with it though. When Kuhn uh, equalised against Bayern, made it one all with what ten, twelve to go, and then when it happened, I just had this sinking, horrible like it does. It's just a bullshit, false hope that they don't deserve, and Bayern will score a winner, and they did, and it was Musiala. Yeah, um, I'm angry at Mainz. They went out and quite, however, you know what? They don't even deserve the respect to say it properly at this point. <laughs> I'm I'm really upset that this this football club went out there and they played like their fucking life was on the line and they won this game and they went from ninth in the league to ninth in the league. And in doing so, handed Bayern their, their, their 11th title. Yeah, fuck it, roll over. <laughs> I, I watched, I said before, I watched Everton play and in the 33rd minute at nil-nil, Bournemouth had a corner and they have taken this corner and teed a ball up to 35 odd yards and a centre-back has stormed onto it, hit it on the volley and put it out of Goodison Park. Like, they were just having fun. We've yeah. got nothing to play for. Let's just enjoy ourselves. Mines, <laughs> Mines have a little more self-respect. They, oh, yeah. they went into this game thinking, oh, we can ruin these, we can ruin these guys' day. Yeah, I, t- I totally, I can relate with that. Absolutely. You don't want to be the team uh, um, that lets another side win the league against you. Like, you just don't want to be that team. 
Um, they also, mine's knocked off Bayern a few weeks ago, so they're more than capable. Um, when I watched this game, I just had this, like, I wasn't in, like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but not in a shocked way. Like, I wasn't shocked it was happening. I had this horrible feeling all along, and I just, I could just picture, mine's are dangerous on the counter, and that we saw, that's what they did. They had two chances on the counter that were very good, scored them. Um and Dortmund are so capable of just shooting themselves in the foot defensively that I knew this was always a possibility. And the amount of times they've fucked it up this year already, I just, you know, I wasn't shocked, but I still couldn't believe it. I could not believe how true they were living up to this. And it was it was sickening and I couldn't look away. I was watching, I came home from work the other day and the replay was on and I had it, I just had it on while I was sitting there and I just couldn't believe it still watching it again. Um I be did a 2-0 big, down in a game of this magnitude. Yeah. Um, I did a big write-up before the game on Saturday just to kind of share some info about the squad because I guess a lot of people wouldn't know a whole lot about this Dortmund squad. And I talked about it being a defining moment for some of these guys. And this is why I said it was defining because they either win and it's a really incredible achievement for some of these guys like Emre Chan, Mats Hummels to drag, um, to drag this Dortmund squad over the line. And for other guys, it was like, you know, this is a, you know, your career didn't quite go where it should have by this point. And you're now 27, 28. Is it going to happen for you? This is a chance. Um, but then they just showed why they haven't gone to that next step. You know, those guys like Julian Brandt and things, they haven't gone to that next step. And guys like Hummels and Sula have, and Emre Chan, even I'll throw in there, have been given freebies, I think, in their career. You know, purely, you know, they're playing a, a Bayern Munich team that destroys teams every week for the last 11 years. Um, Chan won his at a Juve team that was destroying Serie A with Cristiano Ronaldo in it. And they they can't do it when it's, you know, when they're the ones that need to stand up and be the leader. They, mm. they, they couldn't get it done. Yeah, um, I don't watch a lot of a lot of Bundesliga, so you can probably tell me more about this, Sam. Um, yeah, seemed like Omri Chan sort of, you know, on paper lined up as a centre midfielder, but he really almost sat between Nicholas Schuler and Mats Hummels in this game, and they it sort of seemed like they were letting him sit there. And, and the commentator at one point described it as like almost a quarterback role. He seemed to pick the yeah, ball up in between that's... these two centre backs, and these centre backs really spread for him. But I just found like whether it was Chan or whether it was the next player after the pass that he played. Dortmund seemed to turn the ball over a whole load. And then there was just this big hole in between Schuller and Hummels and neither of them were quick enough to cover the gap. And yeah. I think you see it really well on the second goal. The guy is the guy that scores the header on, on the minds of second goal is directly in the center of the 18 yard box. And there's a center half six yards either side of him. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, like Chan doing that, the sitting in like a six there in between the center backs is pretty standard. Like that you see worldwide, like we see Izzy do it a lot. It's just you get your fullbacks further on, your centre backs split, and then I guess once they go one nil down, it's even more prominent. Um, I think Tosic is uh, Tersic, sorry, he's a fairly newish coach, uh, but I think I think he's pretty good. He just didn't quite have the cattle in this one, but it looked like a clear plan once they were one nil down as well, and they needed the goal. It looked pretty deliberate that they were pushing uh Ryerson was the left back that was on there the young Norwegian and Marius Wolf is another one um it should have been a giveaway right there that surely Marius Wolf was not going to win the Bundesliga so uh, he is he is not 
he is not good. Um, but they pushed right on, and then that almost meant that Sula was almost playing as a right back with Hummels just sitting back and Chan mm. just in front of him. Um, a few guys had some absolute an, an absolute mare, like Julian Brandt had an absolute stinker. Sebastian Oler really had an absolute stinker. This guy, I mean, I was really angry watching the highlights of the Luton Coventry penalty shootout when I saw 11 guys in a row run up and belt it into the corner or into the roof of the net. And sometimes the keeper went the right way, but it still went in because they just smashed a ball in from 11 yards or whatever it is. And Holler in this game, this is a guy who was, yeah, he's come back from his, he had ball cancer and stuff. Like, it's a great story. He came back, played professional football. But at the end of the day, he's a guy who didn't make it at West Ham. Like, he didn't make it at West Ham. What gives him the right to be strutting up to this penalty with such ego at 1-0 down? Like, a disaster. Um, He had other chances throughout the game that he just completely butchered. He, he had a complete mare. Um, he's not the only one, though. Like, you mentioned before the goal the goal we conceded, Cooper. Um, the first one is just a corner where Emre Chan, one of the most experienced guys out there, loses him. Loses his man. Haller comes off the post but doesn't really commit, just goes in. Um, the second one, Sula and Hummels, 10 Bundesliga titles between them at centre-back, and they are nowhere near the striker. They're absolutely nowhere near him, and he has a free header and on the penalty spot, and it's 2-0. And, you know, um, Haller missed, missed his penalty in between those two goals, and now, now you're chasing. Now you need three goals to win the league, um, even though you're at home, and Mainz have just put up a wall at the back, and you can't get through. Yeah, that was the um, worst thing. So they started defending like their lives depended on it. Good on them. Like that goes, but that goes to Cooper's point. Like, what what are you defending now for? Why would you not just keep playing? In fairness to them, Dortmund were throwing heaps at them, and they just mm. they were getting lots of really good chances on the counter attack, especially in the second half. In the second half, Mainz could have put away another two or three goals easily, and it could have this, gotten oh, really ugly. They had a couple of glaring up. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. This Dortmund team really, really needed a leader. Um, and like you said, 10 Bundesliga titles between Schuller and Hummels, and it just felt like there was none out there. Um, yeah, 100%. After Haller misses his penalty, uh, about 90 seconds later, Dortmund should have had a second penalty. There was a stone wall penalty yeah. given. Rafael Guerrero was probably more of a penalty than the first one. Seemed like after, you know, the commotions of the first they really didn't want to give a second straight after it's seen um, that way but it's definitely know, re- a thing. regardless of why it's given or it's not after they've missed a pen and been not given an obvious one this was a really really rattled team and no one yep. it seemed like no one stood up no one took we spoke about it with Adelaide United the other week someone needs to you know grab this team grab this team by the balls and just go calm the fuck down for 30 seconds there is a long way to go in this game there's still an hour yeah. to play at this point yeah you know, um, and I know, you know, Jude Bellingham is probably quite often that that guy. That's what I was going to say. This, he shouldn't have Jude to be. But, but this, this, this guy is still a kid. And he shouldn't have te- to be that guy. There's 10 Bundesliga well, titles between two centre-halves. You can't be relying a, on a kid. A, a, a kid won it for Bayern. Like, does it, can it not work both ways? He's a huge part of this team, Jude Bellingham. Yeah, well, he wasn't out there because he was injured. Mm, that's what I mean. So missing him is such a massive yeah, it was big. loss I in think a game like this. I 100% do believe the result is different if he plays. He is that mm. good. He won Bundesliga Player of the Year. 
Yeah, like, I just I, I understand your, your, the point you make, Tom. I just don't think you win titles in top five leagues in Europe if there's not more than one bloke that can stand up and take hold of a game. Yeah, um, that's where that's why I'm being. I might sound super harsh on guys like Hummels and Emre Chan, but it's like I said in my piece before. This is a defining moment for these guys. A chance to do it with a squad that is nowhere near as good. Like look at some of these names: Julian Reyes and. Marius Wolf, Daniel Marlin, Karim Adeyemi, Sebastian Haller, the guy that couldn't make it at West Ham, you know? that's Just to reinforce that point. I'll just reinforce it. I'm <laughs> going to reinforce it again because I'm pretty pissed at the recruitment for some of these guys. Like, And Dortmund, they, just, why, they felt scared too. 60 minutes of 2-0 down, it really didn't feel like they were willing to to really attack this this mines wall and, and throw everything at them. And... Um, Am I right in saying there was a there was a seventeen year old kid that came on for his Bundesliga debut for the last ten minutes of this game, um, and he was the first. No. Start, was it? No, he came on. So yeah, I disagree with you there because I think from the sixtieth minute on, we made some changes in the sixty second, sixty third. That's when they got well, they got Makoko on at halftime. Um, they got Royce had to come on for ADM in the first half, but the kid you're talking about, Julian Duranville, the Belgian kid, came on at the 62nd minute mm-hmm. for Brandt. So he played over half an hour. Um, Giovanni Reina came on and played over half an hour, and he looked really good as well. Um, yeah, Scored that's when deal. they started really trying to. Mines were just absorbing and hitting, trying to hit on the counter. But yeah, I just feel like these three kids that came off the bench. Rainer was the other one I was going to make the point of, with the three fearless ones that went out there and were just yeah. ready to to attack this wall. When guys like Julian Brunt and and especially Daniel Mallon, I felt like Daniel Mallon was really timid in this game. He he didn't want to run at a player or take a player on. I just yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's these kids feel like they've got nothing to lose. But other than Rafael Guerrero, who had a little bit of success doing it, and I, I felt like Julian Brunt tried to do these things and he was just very unsuccessful on the day. But I just didn't feel like there was anyone willing to you know pick the ball up and just run yeah. at players. On another day, um, Julian Brandt is not having. <laughs> if Julian Brandt had like just fifty percent better, like of a game. Dortmund are winning this, you know. Um, it, it's so it's just one of those horrible things to sit and watch. Um, the last one I want to mention is uh, it's not really an attack on the player, should never be in this position, but Anthony Modest. Like, I don't know whose decision it was to go out and sign this guy, a 35-year-old striker who has... <laughs> He scored two goals this season for Borussia Dortmund. Um, his goal record in general is not great anyway. He's never played. He's well, I'll go through the list of teams he's played for. Nice, Angers, Bordeaux, Blackburn, Bastia, Hoffenheim, Köln, Tianjin, Quanjin. Oh, he went to China. He went to China. <laughs> back, to, back to Köln. Um, Saint-Étienne most recently on loan. And he scored now some goals Borussia at Köln, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, at now 34, 35, going to him as your backup guy behind behind Holler, who's already, I think, a reasonably weak option if you're trying to win a league, you know. This goes all the way back to the trying to replace Lewandowski. Yeah. They've just never quite they been able to. That. And then then they all of a sudden they had Holland. Um, you know, if Holland's in this team, Dorman won the league. Oh, they probably walked the league, yeah. They probably walked yeah. it in, but... But he's not. And then again, we had that same problem with trying to replace him and Hello and 
I don't know who you go to, but hello and my desk are, are not the guys. Hello, hard, Pacific, Pacific. hard, hard guy to replace though, Harland. And maybe they are relying on, yeah. uh, uh, like Adiemi and Makoku and stuff. They need filler players to allow them to get to. Yeah. I mean, it's no surprise Modesta has been released now. I saw that he was part of the <laughs> the players oh, out. <laughs> um, I just I saw that Dortmund were eight points behind Bayern going in, or nine points maybe behind Bayern going into the winter break. Um, yeah. it's, it's a pretty massive turnaround for them. Yeah, for it to be in their hands going to the last game. This is one of those I asked you with the Arsenal as well. Do, do you still count this season as a success? Not for Dortmund, no. Not for Dortmund. They should no, have won. Because I think, I think second is, you know, their the minimum. Yeah. So had they had they stayed behind Bayern the whole way with this squad, had they been second behind Bayern, and you know Bayern won the league, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago, I think it would still be a semi-successful season. Maybe there'd be frustration lingering about the way they went out of the Champions League to a very poor Chelsea side. And do- mm-hmm. another one where, you know, big games on the line, they were up and they just bottled it. And, like, you're looking to guys like Hummels and Chan again and it just didn't happen. Um, but I think, yeah, the fact that it was in their hands multiple times in the last few months it's like pretty it's pretty poor to throw it away especially and at home to that crowd i think i sent a message in the group chat that night to the 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 crowd like at some points the crowd looked like they were giving more than like the players could have and like they were just they were relentless they just kept going even at 2-0 with like half an hour to go they were still just so loud they were pumping them they were doing literally they could not have done any more those supporters the re- the reaction cooper made note of it when um uh, Bayern went 1-1 and it just, it sounded like they had scored the goal that made that one of the title. And it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing. It, you just wish at that moment it could have spurred them on to get an equalizer sooner and yeah. then gives them the opportunity to get another late one. Yep. And that would have set up just an incredible finish. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know if much needs to be said about Bayern really um, or the game that no. they played against Cologne. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, one... we forgot about them. Yeah, one the one note that I had the other week, I made a comment to to Tom that at times I have complained about A League commentary, and then I watched a few Bundesliga games late in this season and thought that the BN commentary was absolutely horrendous, especially the Bundesliga BN commentary, wherever they've got it from, whatever package it is. Um, whilst Bayern were celebrating with the travelling support in Cologne after this game, there was a commentator screaming at the top of her lungs, exclaiming, this is why we love football. Look at these scenes. The unpredictability of this game never fails to amaze us. What the fuck is unpredictable about 11 titles in a row? <laughs> oh, that's so manufactured. It does, It it even hardly makes contextual sense because even though Bayern had it in their hand, uh, uh, Dortmund had it in their hands, there's still an overwhelming part of you that thinks Bayern are the favourites to win it <laughs> because yeah. of the amount of times Dortmund threw it away because of the quality of Bayern Munich. It's, there's nothing, there's nothing that's uh, what I like said magical it. about that's the fact that they won. The lack of excitement from, we were discussing it in the group chat, watching the game, the lack of excitement, the three of us of the moment of 
Cologne equalising with less than 10 minutes to play, none of us thought that Bayern weren't going to score again. We were still watching Dortmund like they need three goals. Yeah, exactly. Like I said at the start of this little segment, I said it was still that unpredictability. I thought it was more like, oh, shit, here we go again. I just, it would always have that air of Dortmund could very well just bottle this. And I, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm really sad about it. I haven't felt this sad about football in a long, long time. Football is so depressingly predictable, you know, and all sorts has happened, but this, this one has knocked me this week and I feel stupid for letting it knock me because it's just stupid sport, but yeah, it's, it kicked me in the guts this weekend, but there you go. Um, should we move it on? Should we talk about Syria? Yeah, because that's done, right? I mean, there's a game to go, but there's it's a game done. to go. But uh, yeah, Champions League spots have been wrapped up. Uh, Napoli, obviously, as champions. Lazio uh, still sits second with a game to play. Inter and Milan. Uh, Milan and Inter can swap spots. Inter and Lazio can swap spots. Um, Inter beat Atalanta 3 2 on the weekend to, to lock in that Champions League spot for Milan. If Milan went away to Juve and won, which they did, they went away to Juve. They got a one-nil win thanks to guess who, Olivier Giroud. Olivier Giroud. Um, yeah, big, he's big, really big turnaround he, again. He's really picked his game up since the ultras gave him a dressing down, didn't hasn't he? <laughs> well, after the um, you know, after that, Milan kind of bowed out of everything, and it looked like there was no chance they would make Europe. Um. This is a this has been a big turnaround in the last two weeks. They smashed someone last week, can't remember who, and then this week just went away to Juve. It looks like maybe maybe the pressure was off, but then you could argue the pressure was put back on once Juve lost their points and they were a sniff to go back in. But um, and Atalanta are the ones that are unlucky; they miss out. Would yeah. Juve have still made champion? Yeah, it would be going to the last day, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be going to points. the last day. Yeah. Ah, I wonder. No wonder. Because Juve haven't won since they've lost those points. So I wonder if that's just demoralized them to the... I think it... Pretty fair if it has demoralized them, I think. Yeah. You know, we're going to the last round this week and it's uh, Juve away to Udinese, which is is a tough game. Um, Milan home to Verona. uh, Napoli home to relegated bottom of the league Sampdoria, which is a nice ending for them, I guess. Um, Lazio away to Empoli, they should win that. Inter away to Torino, they should win that. Um, so there you go. Uh, Verona can still stay up there, level on points with Spezia. Uh, they're both on 31 going into this game, which is interesting. I, I don't know what the head-to-head record is there because I'm pretty sure Serie A is head-to-head and not GD. no difference. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, Spezia away to Roma. Who knows where Roma are at at the moment? But um, um, Spezia will be hoping that Roma have some success Thursday morning in the Europa yeah, League final. Absolutely, mm-hmm. well and truly party mode in Rome. Yeah, I think so. They'd be hoping for that, but then they would also probably need. Oh no, they're they're ahead at the moment. Uh, Verona go to Milan, so two tough games for both those sides. There you go. Hey, That's all I got. Yeah, keen to see how it eventuates, especially on a head-to-head yeah. record like that. It's um, just... It would have been cool if Juventus were still fighting Milan for the um, final Champions League place because that would have made a huge game. Yeah. How's this for a season after 37 games? Sampdoria, the team in bottom. I don't think, from memory, they haven't been down for quite a while. Um, 
19 points they're on. They have won three games this season. They've had 10 draws, three wins, 24 losses with a game to play. And they're away away to Napoli on the final day. So (laughs) Um, going down in tatters. Sampdoria, all right, we've got two things here. Sampdoria is uh, where Leeds owner uh, Andrea Rodriziani has been for the last two weeks. He hasn't been at Leeds watching yep. us get relegated. He's been at Sampdoria watching them get relegated because he wants to buy them with, uh, it's like a group with the PSG owners. So I think that they're, they're going to try and take him over and turn him into a superpower uh, from the championship equivalent of Serie A. What is it, Serie B? Um, Serie B. But outside of that, uh, let's just say A-League goes for 38 games. At what point after watching Adelaide win three games all season, would you just be like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not going anymore. I can't be fucked I with would, this. I would keep going, but fuck, it'd be a way different outlook. <laughs> like, I'd be plastered at every game. Like, <laughs> we're like we, you would already know you could go with that mindset and just not worry about it. Just be like, ah, oh, shit, you know, it's happening. Whatever. Fucking three wins all season. That's just incredible. Mm. Yeah, they've actually um actually only won one of those three games at home as well. So it's been a depressing That's year for Sandoria supporters. Depressing year for season ticket holders. Um, football just depressing in general. I would say at the moment, uh, Napoli. We should reflect on there have they're sixteen points ahead. Best team in Europe. Sixteen points ahead. Best team in Europe. We'll leave it at that. Um. I have one more little note before we end. I want to ask you guys, we had a little bit of a, we mentioned it off air. Um, Teams, how do you feel about teams unveiling new kits before the season ends and then wearing them? We've seen Juve did it on the weekend. Dortmund did it on the weekend. A disaster. It looked like Titanic and they fucking sunk. Um, Arsenal did it. Cooper, you said Liverpool have been doing it as well. Yeah, we've worn out a new kit for the last three Premier League fixtures now. That's that's fuck. It's gross to me. It's gross. It's just a money grab. That's all it is. It's get it on display, sell it early. I mean, the Liverpool kit with Premier League patches, as someone told me, is one hundred and seventy Australian dollars plus postage, and it's you know three left in in the in the current season. Like it's just it's a huge money grab. I noted that Leicester have released their new kit and they didn't wear it, but there was an option to buy it on the club store with Premier League badges. So I hope that no one, um, no one, no one, no one took that jump. Oh, that's dirty. I hate it. I think it's so just where, like, where's the joy in setting a date and saying, this is the new kit, the big kit. I I know they get leaked and I know FIFA has a big role in linky uh, leaking kits as well. But it should be an occasion, not ruined the previous season. Like fucking build something up for once. Which is it's reflection of society, man. We want everything at once. If I yeah. was a Dortmund supporter, I would not want to spend the next twelve months watching us play in that kit after oh, that's it. Situated on the that's final it. PTSD already. Like, yeah, that's it. I, I'd I'd literally be changing it. Um, I I a long time ago stopped buying kits. I haven't bought an actual football kit since the last one I. The last football kit I bought would have been um, a Borussia Dortmund, would be like 2015 or 16 shirt. Shit. Like six, seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, maybe earlier, 14 maybe. Um, but like, I just don't, I don't, I can't justify the money when it's, it is a deliberate cash grab, but people still go for it anyway. Like, mm. I, I, I'm not telling people how to spend their money or how to like, 
We're telling him how to support, how, how to, to spend support money. their clubs again. But, you know, I personally, I just look for like, I, you know, I buy like a beanie or like a hat or something on sale. I like a polo shirt. I do like a polo shirt, but you look good in a polo. That's why for the right price, man. I'm not going. I'm not paying for kits at 170 bucks. Like it's criminal that they do it for that price. I, I feel. Look, I don't know how much money clubs make from it. If you want to support your club, buying a kit is probably a good idea. But I'm always on the side of buying a bit of merchandise that's made by like a club fan group or yeah. something that's associated. Like. Yeah, you got that. You got that really cool uh, Celtic shirt when Edward played. Uh, Tease for Tim's that was. Tease for Tim's. Yeah. I got that good strip tease one for Adelaide United. Um, there's a square ball for Leeds. Like they produce kits. Yeah, I think that's a way better. I got I a this... the I got a Borussia Dortmund one. It was just like a black shirt with a, a different logo. It just has like a B with like a hat on it, and it was like, mm. um, it was one of those like community like all the money that was sold by those shirts like. But they made from those shirts went to into this community program thing. But yeah, I like that. yeah. I have this fond memory of Adelaide United winning the title in the 15-16 season, and all of our champions merch was just disgustingly ugly, looked thrown together in the last minute. Like even the backroom staff and merchandise team didn't believe that we weren't going to in some capacity fuck it up. <laughs> um, and it was all still, you know, 60, 70 bucks a t-shirt or whatever. And you thought, like, I have to buy something. And then I was doing my shopping at Foodland and they had uh, for $10 a pop, you could get a set of two pint glasses, uh, either a coffee mug or a, a bar topper. And it was Adelaide United Champions. It was like, fantastic, $10, <laughs> South Australian company. <laughs> like, what Brilliant. The- Done. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Are we done? Do you have anything else you want to add? No, nah, because we're, we're going to come back next week and do... Yeah, our teams of the season for the Prem. There's a couple we'll, of things we'll, we can we'll, chat for that. We've got some segments we're working uh, on that we'll come back with for next week. Cooper, um, what do you got? Pod won the fantasy. Oh, we yes. Did. Sorry. Fantasy. Um, thank you, host Cooper. Um, <laughs> God, he's here. <laughs> the Night Shift Football Fantasy winner. Congratulations, Todd. Well done. From uh, Heaps About Nothing. Go, go. When we run out of football shit to talk about, go listen to Heaps About Nothing. It's good. You'll get a good kick out of it. I was on there a few weeks ago. We had some fun. Uh, I wasn't talking into my mic properly for the first half, but forget that. Um, Mm. We should crash one of his upcoming pods and give him the prize. He's way more organized than us. He's uh, he's got a good setup there. It's like a Hollywood studio. It's nice. Um, But yeah, go listen to Todd. Todd, maybe if you're listening to this, maybe I can get on to present you with the trophy. But we have a trophy. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Oh, it's, I don't want to there. anything, but I do have a trophy. It's real. <laughs> I'm fucking, you're laughing. I'm legit. It's sitting in my garage right now. And when we get off air, I'm going to show you it. All right. So, <gasps> oh, God. Right, How many cobwebs has it got on it? <laughs> Shut up. All right. Let's go. Let's wrap it up. See you guys next week. Bye.